in white and were now bordering on gray giant headstones with the tired dusty face of one apparition or another occasionally appearing in their windows in the soroka hospital parking lot he met dr zandorf who gave him a broad smile and asked and how is dr green today he dredged up a battered smile did his best to spread it across his face and replied Fine. They entered the hospital together, replacing the climate and time that nature had imposed upon them with the insolent defiance of an air conditioning and lighting system that guaranteed them eternal morning and endless spring. Etan parted from Dr. Zandorf at the entrance to the ward and had begun a prolonged scrubbing at the sink when a young nurse walked by and remarked that he had a pianist's hands. That's true, he thought. He did have a musician's fingers. Women always told him that. But the only strings he strummed were damaged, truncated neurons. A strange instrument, the brain. You never really know what sound you'll get when you press one key or another. Of course, if you stimulate the occipital lobe with a mild electric shock, the man sitting in front of you will most likely report that he sees colors, just as pressing on neurons in the temporal lobe will probably lead to the illusion of sounds. But while science is extremely partial to general, uniform rules, people are partial to being distinguished from one another. Two patients with damage to their orbitofrontal cortex will never have the courtesy to coordinate their side effects. One will behave crudely, and the other will become obsessively cheerful. One will make tasteless sexual remarks, and the other will feel an uncontrollable need to pick up every object in his path. Randomness, that seductive little whore dances among the ward's beds, spits on the doctor's lab coats, and tickles the exclamation marks of science until they bow their heads and become rounded into question marks. So how can we ever know anything at all? He once blurted out in the lecture hall. Fifteen years had passed since then, and he still remembered the anger that had risen in him on that sleepy afternoon when he realized that the profession he was training for was no more certain than any other. A student who had fallen asleep beside him was startled awake by his cry and gave him a hostile look. The rest of the class was waiting for the remainder of what the senior lecturer had to say, which would most likely contain material for their exam. The only person who did not consider the question an annoyance was Professor Zakai himself, who shot him an amused glance over the lecturer's podium. And what is your name? Etan. Etan Green. The only way to know something, Etan, is to investigate death. Death teaches you everything you need to know. Take, for example, the case of Henry Molaison. In 1953, he underwent an innovative surgical resection of the areas responsible for his epilepsy, among them the hippocampus. You know what happened afterward? He died? Yes, and no. Henry Molaison 
didn't die because he woke up after the surgery and continued to live, but in another sense, Henry Molaison did die, because from the moment he woke up after the surgery he was incapable of creating even a single new memory. He couldn't fall in love, or hold a grudge, or be exposed to a new idea for longer than two minutes, because after two minutes the object of his love or grudge was simply erased. He was twenty-seven when the surgery was performed, and even though he didn't die until he was eighty-two, he actually remained twenty-seven forever. You see, Eitan, only after the hippocampus was removed did they discover that it was in fact responsible for encoding long-term memories. We have to wait for something to be destroyed in order to understand what had previously functioned.